everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have in this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. And this podcast is all about that. My guest on the podcast this week is Olaf Groth, author of The Solomon's Code, Humanity in a World of Thinking Machines. We believe that AI is here to stay and that we as human beings and certainly we as business decision makers need to get used to what we call symbio-intelligence, so symbiotic intelligence between humans and machines. We have an opportunity here to shape these jobs such that they are not more, not just more productive, but also much more enjoyable. We should get engaged and shape it and, and not over-regulate too early, but rather say in a perfect world, what would that world look like and what do we need to do to get there? what the work is that is being done, where the value is being added, and then try to understand where humans and machines could collaborate much more elegantly and in a much more integrated fashion. We will find out as humans that there is so much more fun to be had once we get used to this transition, right? The, the real fun is when we as humans see images of what we want evolving, emerging from the current picture. This is Olaf. He's a professor, advisor, and executive for the evolving global innovation economy with 20 years of experience in corporations, consulting firms, and academia. He has helped build new ventures and change management initiatives for employees and clients in energy, technology, telecommunications, aerospace, and transportation sectors in 30 plus countries. He's also the author of the Solomon's Code, Humanity in a World of Thinking Machines. And the topic of this book triggered me. Hence, I invited Olaf to my podcast. We explore the changes that we have to face when AI enters the workspace. And more importantly, the opportunity we can unlock by aiming for the optimal human-machine combinations. By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, why a design goal for a solution should not just be increased productivity, but more importantly, how it shapes a more enjoyable work experience. Secondly, that to create solutions for the future, you should anticipate the job profiles of the future. And thirdly, by choosing augmentation over automation will give you the golden opportunity to deliver not only unique value to your customers, but also the highest adoption rates. Well, so to get the podcast going, Olaf, can you introduce yourself to the audience and explain a little bit what you're doing today, where you're coming from, and what your passion is all about? Sure, Ton, I'd be happy to. First of all, thank you for having me on your show today. I, I very much appreciate the opportunity to share some of my, some of our thinking when it comes to this unfolding world of cognitive computing or thinking machines, to put it more colloquially. I am a professor of strategy, innovation, economics at Halt International Business School. You may or may not know Halt, it's by now the biggest business school in the world, 3,500 students across six physical campuses. And I teach from the San Francisco campus, but ro rotate globally. I'm also the program director for Halt Ashridge Executive Education Program on uh, Digital Futures. 
which examines you know, many of the topics that we're about to talk about here that we've written the book about. I hold a research appointment at UC Berkeley's Roundtable on the International Economy and serve on the Global Expert Network of the World Economic Forum and run, run a small consultancy called Cambrian.ai. I'm its managing partner. We've got a, a couple of other partners and, and a few associates working on trends of deep technology and exponential technology and how they will change patterns in the global economy, including, this may be interesting for your listeners, competitive patterns, you know, ecosystem and network design implications, etc., etc. So this book is very much aligned with that. Okay, that could be a podcast in its own right. But you already mentioned uh, the fact that you are you're actually, you, you finished writing a book which will launch beginning of November. Solomon's Code, Humanity in a World of Thinking Machines. Can you, in a, in a few words, explain the whole, well, the big idea behind this book? Sure. So uh, we have all been inundated with the news about AI, quote-unquote, artificial or augmented intelligence. And we decided that it was time for a book that took a very sober, well-balanced and nuanced look at what actually is happening in the area of thinking machines or cognitive computing that's worth talking about in the short to medium term, right? So we've seen we've seen all these books and movies dealing with artificial general intelligence, meaning, you know, AI that can impersonate a human being and can be as smart, if not smarter than human beings. While we don't discount the fact that that might at some point be possible, you know, whatever, 30 to 70 years out, we do believe that these works miss the point that is of much greater relevance to us as business people around the world. And that is really how is cognitive computing, how are thinking machines changing how we live our lives, how we run our organizations, how we design and sell product over you know, the next 15 years. So really, you know, the, the, the time span of a, of, a, of a human generation in statistical terms, right? And for many of us, that's relevant because that's the hot phase in our careers. Many of us have children, and, and that's the formative period. So we believe that it was time for a book examining the implications of the changes between you know, now and 15 years from now, and hence the title, Solomon's Code, Humanity in a World of Thinking Machines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested to understand what what are your main main conclusions. Right. What? How do you say that? Well, you know, the, I think the key message in this book is yeah. that look, thinking machines, uh, wh- whether you call it artificial intelligence or, in a more sober way, machine learning, neural networks, they're they're here to stay. We've heard much talk about another AI winter, as they say, meaning a, a potential ebbing off of the technology innovation there. We believe that AI is here to stay and that we as human beings, and certainly we as business decision makers, need to get used to what we call intelligence, so symbiotic intelligence between humans and machines. Excellent. And that means you know, that, we, that we see the machines as partners that do certain things that make certain types of decisions much better than we can. But that doesn't mean that we are obsolete, that we don't have anything to offer. So there, there is a real symbiosis dawning here. Now, that, that is actually a tough pill to swallow for many people who are not used to computers getting smarter, right? <laughs> Because we're, we're, we're all too used to, you know, the spinning ball or the blue screen of death or, you know, 
projector is not working and, you know, the blinking timestamp on our video recorders, if you still have one of those. So obviously, for many of us, it's a stretch to consider that a machine could become an equally powerful partner to who we are. But we believe that era is here. And if we, you know, we see tremendous opportunity that we're describing in this book in an effort to step away from all that dystopia, right, Skynet Terminator thinking. And we're saying at the same time, we cannot be blue eyed about this. So if we as individuals, as business decision makers want to harness that opportunity, we have to develop governance uh, regimes because these machines are already, you know, whether they're chatbots or medical AI or climate change models, they're already injecting, being injected into our lives in ways that are not obvious and apparent to most people around the world. And they're changing how we live our lives, right? So we have to govern this in order to really exploit the the phenomenal transformational potential of AI for for society and for business. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more with, uh, with your conclusion about symbiotic intelligence. I like that term, by the way. Thank you. The reason why I started the podcast was my frustration with the fact that there's so much fuzz in the market about the fact that your robots are going to take our jobs. And I mean, to an extent that might be the case, but I think it's going to be it's going to take parts of our jobs, the parts we typically don't like. I mean, I was speaking to Vinny Merchandani in one of my first podcasts, and he was talking about his book, and he referred to the the three Ds: the, the dull, the dirty, and the dangerous type of tasks. <laughs> yeah. take that away that's that's good but my belief is absolutely the case and i've i've had many good examples already of that in my podcast that if you create these uh, man man machine combinations you create yeah one and one is three or equal or or, or even more uh, impact so what are the examples that that you have been most impressed by if you look at your research in terms of what this combination can achieve well, you know, just to just to stick with the area of jobs, right? And then I'm happy to touch briefly on area like medicine, uh, for instance, or drug discovery. So the the impact on productivity is, of course, a dual-edged sword, right? We, like you, believe that the net outcome at the end of the day is going to be positive and that we have an opportunity here to shape these jobs such that they are not more not just more productive but also much more enjoyable right than many of today's jobs there are various different statistics out there astounding numbers of how many people are actually unhappy in their jobs and a lot of that goes back to you know like like you say, say the dull and the boring elements and so we do believe that that net impact is going to be positive because if hopefully we will shape ai in a way that allows for more human inspiration, more ideation, more empathy on the job, more creativity, although creativity is, of course, a fuzzy word and machines are starting to encroach on that territory as well. More ability to transpose learning from one area to the next, which has been shown to be very stimulating to human minds, right? And and overall to have just a lot more purpose on the job. And, you know, if we're honest, most of us are spending, what, between, you know, eight and, and 12 hours a day. And so it's a, right, it's a meaningful amount of time and you don't want to spend it without purpose. Now, that said, when we talk about the net outcome, the key variable here is what's the timeline, right? So, so do I believe that in 30 years we will all likely, due to AI, have better, higher purpose jobs? Yes. But what happens in the meantime? 
how quickly are policymakers and executives able to help us with that transformation? And there, frankly, we're seeing a great, what I call a great awakening amongst the policymakers around the world that this is coming. I wish I, I saw, I could tell you that I see an equal amount of action and policymaking that will help corporations design the future of, of jobs. And that's currently not yet being done, right? And part of that is that we're, we're sort of the deer in the headlights. But at, least, you know, but at least we're getting that there is a car or a train coming, right? So I, I do believe that that impact is going to be positive. And I, I do believe that there are interesting precedents here in the United States, as well as in Europe. The German Institute for Artificial Intelligence, DFKI, for instance, is working with companies like BMW, Google, Rexroad, etc., to put in place demonstrations of manufacturing sites that have smart machines in them that will recognize certain parameters about the human operator much better than older machines that were not as digital. And so the, at the end of the day, you, you get a, a machine that recognizes the operator better for better joint productivity, right? Whether that's physical or psychometric parameters. There are tests that have been done in the United States where, you know, it's being shown that if you take the, if you take the human motivation to have more flexible jobs that are yet secure, but where people can, can work the hours when they want to work them and yet not sacrifice job security, that if you input those variables into the machine variables that aim at optimizing productivity, that you get even higher productivity. Really? And so I think, you know, those are really, really promising for productivity. Now, for, for medical, we are seeing very promising ventures in helping nudge people to break through certain psychological health issues like depression, for instance. Yeah. We're seeing the ability to teach people in more personalized ways where machine learning bots will step to the side of math coaches, for instance, to yeah. say to the math coach, look, your pupil is not quite getting it yet and try this different approach, right? And so these are these are very powerful. And then we are seeing very promising applications in the area of chemical and pharmaceutical, you know, so compound and drug uh, discovery, for instance, where the human mind simply cannot take as much of a complexity and magnitude of data streams as as machines can, right? And the list goes on and on. I mean, there's phenomenal applications in preventing cri- food crises, preventing climate change, mitigating climate change. But I'm, I suppose I'm going to have to cut it off here. But it's a fascinating <laughs> world. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've, I recognize a number of those examples because I've had, uh, well, and entrepreneurs that are doing this in my show already, which is, yeah, that, yeah, you can understand why this gets me going every week to, uh, to record uh, those interviews. Definitely, um, yeah. But I mean, I agree with you that that's, the big challenge ahead is is maybe not that these things are coming. I mean, they are already there. But how can we make the most out of it? And that, that requires us to think, yeah, in a completely different way, stepping away from what we've always been used to, to what could be, and then start to yeah, to reflect what what needs to be done in order to make that happen. Because at the end, it's all about what we decide it needs to be. And that requires yeah, a, different, a different mindset. Yes, right. And the question is also whether that needs to be done by businesses individually or does it need to take yeah, a higher approach or a macro approach? 
You know, Tom, honestly, it, it, it will take both, in my humble opinion. And, yeah. and here, here is, I think, what it will take. On a very high level, we all need to get engaged in multi-stakeholder governance. And it, it sounds like it's this esoteric thing that no CEO has time for. But frankly, it's, it's a strategic imperative because we are seeing significant disruption of the workplace of really a lot of different domains around the economy. And so engaging in stakeholder dialogues around, you know, definitions of ethics, what's, what's ethical, what's responsible, what's values-based. Needless to say, these are very messy, unorderly, you know, amorphous kinds of concepts. And, and the, the challenge is not to get it right and nail it down to the T, but rather to have the dialogue. It, once you dialogue, you create relationships, you create trust, and that is really what we need to do in this new world of thinking machines is we need to create trust. We may not agree on every, every ethics stipulation, every definition, but the trust that underlies these dialogues is really key. We're, we're drifting into an economy where trust will, be, will come at a premium, right? The second thing that we need to do is we need to backcast. We need to, as as executives, as advisors, as policymakers, we need to understand what is the future that we actually want with smarter machines. We, we shouldn't just let this happen. We should get engaged and shape it and, and not overregulate too early, but rather say, in a perfect world, what would that world look like and what do we need to do to get there? So that's number two. Then getting down to the to the granular level of what can an executive do if you know if I'm now advising CEOs which I frequently do I would say think about you know talk to your human resource vice president think about the job profiles at the company think about where machine learning AI are going to hit first yep. and understand what's the percentage of the job impacted and then you ask yourself what does that job look like in five, seven years out? And then try to develop development programs for the people in the jobs or for people who might be better suited to take those jobs. Yep. And, and so really engage in the, in the design of the, the future of jobs. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of government incentives are currently still missing. We, we desperately need them to help CEOs, help boards, help the C-suite see the rationale and get rewarded for engaging in that behavior, right? Lest we want sort of short-term quarterly thinking about financial results really get the better of us. And then, you know, we have a, we have a train wreck waiting to happen. Exactly. Yeah, and I agree with you that a lot of, a lot of the issues actually, the, the way people are educated about it, or can, can you actually imagine what could happen? I've done a couple of workshops, for example, are, is AI or are robots going to take the finance function or the HR function? And if you then show them a very simple picture of the balance between what they do, their admin task and their strategic tasks, now they always complain about the fact that they have too little time for the strategic task and they're too occupied with admin. Well, admin, right. is, going to, admin is going to be taken by bots because it's all, all in many cases, it's rule-based. And then you see them, well, wait a minute. Now everything that's, that's left is the strategic side. And then it's to come to the realization Although they've been talking about the fact that they want to be strategic and, uh, and they need to be strategic, the question is, can they be strategic at all? I mean, is there, there's also, of course, a reason why they are still so, so much focused on admin, typically because they like it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of learning that needs to start happening. And then if you start thinking about the strategic aspect of it, 
and you start to, to, to have these discussions about what could be if you get instant insights and possibly even prescriptive guidance. Like, okay, this is going to happen shortly and you didn't see it yet, and, but, and this is what you can do to mitigate it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of what technology can do is, is typically still done today by by business people. So it's, it's really about rethinking these jobs, and that's going to be a massive uh, undertaking. Yeah, most definitely, Ton. I couldn't agree more. And I think the the saving grace here is that the machines, you know, will or are slated to anyway help us in that area. Right? The machines are very good at recognizing patterns, like you say conducting repetitive tasks, serving up more critical insights, right? And based on those insights, I can make better decisions rather than working spreadsheets over and over and over, right? And I think too many of us, like you say, are used to the latter when we should be getting used to the former. And so it does take a lot of rethinking about processes, about how you create value, and really understanding where in the organization do I pair the machine with the human and in what ways. And, and that needs to be a deliberate design that is based on some experimentation. So my, my key advice to you know, listeners would be, you know, develop a, you know, a landscape, map the organization in terms of what the work is that is being done, where the value is being added, and then try to understand where humans and machines could collaborate much more elegantly and in a much more integrated fashion. And I think based on that, then you can define new profiles for people to have much more satisfying work. True. Yeah, actually also connected to the outcomes <laughs> that you want to achieve as a company, connected to customer experience, uh, growth, competitive advantage, differentiation. Right, right, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the interesting thing is that we will find out as humans that there is so much more fun to be had once we get used to this transition, Right. The, the real fun is when we as humans see images of what we want evolving, emerging from the current picture, and then navigating to those images. The computers can't do that. The computers can only tell us, you know, here is what it looks like right now. Here are the patterns. And in all likelihood, this is what the outcome will be. But to then literally imagine, you know, and oftentimes I feel like, you know, imagination is such a dirty word to very analytically trained business people, right? But imagining really where you want to take your product, your team, your company, and then pairing with the machine to find the best path to get there, that really still takes the human. Completely agree. Yeah. And the ones that take that on best are going to be the winners for the future. <laughs> yes. Do you I, 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 Go ahead. No, no. It's a, I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, and I think there's lots of pitfalls. And there are organizations that will not do that very well. So I don't want to downplay the risk, right? As much as I don't like dystopia, I also don't like utopia. Mm -hmm. So the time to act is now to be thoughtful about this. That's true. And get started and start small. Do you already see, by the way, good examples of, of organizations that have started this? So there is lots and lots of machine learning in what I call the bowels of, the, of large organizations organizations already, right? So we, we, see the, uh, we see these eye charts, as it were, uh, these stack diagrams where, you know, there's, there's lots of AI and machine learning already in business processes deep down in the guts of the organization. You know, so there's lots of those examples where, you know, we're seeing organizations increasingly, of course, 
design chatbots to enable smarter, more seamless, smooth, and frictionless customer interaction. That is, you know, that is obviously one big area where we're seeing some some good examples. I think the real the real payoff at some point will come when we use AI to really overhaul our business models, optimizing value chains dynamically based on what we see both internally, based on what we see in terms of pricing and demand in the market. And and so I think that's where the real high payoff is going to be. But that's also scary because that sounds like automation equals loss of control on the part of the human, right? So that's that's a critical area where we haven't really where we haven't really seen examples just yet. What do you mean with the, yeah with the potential of that? The overhaul AI to use AI to overhaul our business models. Yeah. So for instance, if I'm a a commodity business or a simple retail business, you know there 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 are obviously many things still that are very manual that are based on intuition that are based sure. on a certain amount of experience. But you know there are there there are large parts of the day to day business processes that are that are normed, that are standard, that could be automated. And putting those mature operating businesses on more of an automation path while devoting more of the human capital as well as the the, the, the financial investment capital into uh, more frontier applications, newer generations of not just products and services, but solutions, experiences, and really devoting our time and energy to designing those, I think that's where yeah. The real growth potential is. I think too much of our energy is today is is like you said earlier, dedicated to the bureaucracy of administering already existent mature businesses. Yeah. And I think we need to we need to take our we need to automate that and place our attention on future business growth. I couldn't agree more. So, if if people are going to read your book when it's uh, available on the and everywhere you can buy a book. What do you hope will happen with that? What's, what do you hope people will do with it? So I hope that people are going to say, what's my role in all of this? We deliberately framed this book as one that connects with the person. It's, it's of course, a serious nonfiction book. Yeah. You know, it's a trade book, as they say, but it has some fiction elements to it in that we personalize some elements of the narrative and that is intended for anybody whether you know whether you are a policymaker or a business executive or you know any any regular person that is not necessarily a professional to be able to say okay what does this what does this emergence mean to me in my everyday life and how i run my day so asking yourself number 1 how is my day going to change? Which decisions am I willing to delegate and which do I want to make myself is of critical importance. And then help us press for really good governance of this emerging space. And that's not trivial because as business people, we don't want to be overregulated. We don't want regulation to, to inhibit or prohibit innovation or experimentation. And yet in this era of thinking machines, we are at risk of making some mistakes that are unforgiving and that have systemic effects. Mm -hmm. And so we do need to get into a governance dialogue early. And so if you're a business executive, please do what you can to get yourself involved with stakeholders, with policymakers and say, what can we do together? 
And there's not going to be any clarity for the next one or two years. It's an, it's an evolving process. True. So if you're a business executive, that's how I think you should get involved. And then, of course, I'm coming back around to my statement earlier, thinking about what does this mean for the future of my organization, for the future of, of the jobs of the people that I lead. Yeah. And be proactive. Dedicate one person on your staff to look into that on a part-time basis, I don't know, on a, on a time-bound basis, but create a, create a little task force around this because, you know, this thing will, will hit faster than you think and you want to be prepared. Exactly. Whether to be prepared from a defensive perspective or even from an offensive perspective. Thank you exactly. very much for this. This was really inspiring and I really look forward for the book to hit the stores. Where can people see more about this, connect with you to say, to say hello or to have a conversation about this going forward? Yes, I'm, I'm happy to make that contact information available. You can find us at cambrian.ai. So that is spelled C-A-M, that's M as in mother, B-R-I-A-N, cambrian.ai. There's contact information on that website. Uh, you can, of course, connect with me on LinkedIn as well. And uh, as for the book, uh, it is available now for pre-order on amazon.com. You can type in my name alongside my co-author's name, so my last name is spelled G-R-O-T-H. My co-author's name, Mark Nitzberg, is spelled N-I-T-Z-B-E-R-G. And that, that should serve up the link. And then, of course, we'd be more than happy to field any questions, engage in a dialogue. We'd love to hear from you. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for this, Olaf. It's my pleasure, Ton. Thank you for the opportunity. Anytime. The pleasure was fully on my side, Olaf. And for everybody listening to the podcast today, thank you for tuning in. I had the honor to speak to Olaf Groth, author of The Solomon's Code, Humanity in a World of Thinking Machines. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in and you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.